So as I mentioned, we're going to be in John chapter 5 this morning. We're uh, continuing in our series one-on-one with Jesus. And so we've been going through the Gospel of John and looking at the encounters that Jesus has with different people and the importance of those encounters one-on-one. Because we know when Jesus walked the planet, everything he said, everything he did, every encounter that he had with somebody was done with intention and purpose. And because of that, that means there's things that God wants us to understand about Jesus' encounters and what that means for us. And so this morning we're going to look in John 5 and we're going to look at a story of a man who has been crippled his entire life pretty much. And Jesus encounters him and he's encountering somebody who's sick. And what happens in this encounter, it's profound because most of us, I mean all of us at one time or another, we feel the effects of being human. We go through ailments or diseases or sicknesses, and we want healing. But for, for the most part, what we would really love is we would, if we were honest, we would love a pill that we could take or a medicine that we could take that would make all of our problems disappear. How many agree? The sad thing is for us, but it's really the good thing, is that God doesn't work that way. God doesn't give us a pill. You know what he does? He says, here's a process I'm going to work in your life that not only deals with your physical reality and the limitations of your humanity and the brokenness in your physical reality, but it deals with something much bigger and more important. It deals with you holistically. And so this passage we're going to look in this morning, as I really started to study and digest it, it kind of began to push on some of my own kind of theological framework for healing and how God heals. And uh, it kind of made me take a step back and realize what is the most important thing about what God's doing when he, when he heals us physically. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to read, I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. So what I want you to do is you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. But one of the things, you know, I've been in the church for a long time, and I've read this story, I can't count how many times, and I've heard it preached on. But I think sometimes if we would read a story and let ourselves enter into that story, like what would it be like if we were where Jesus was? So as I'm reading this, would you just picture what the scene must have looked like and what the experience would have been for Jesus and for this man and all the people gathered around as Jesus engages this man? So starting in verse 1 of John 5, it says, And after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Just think about that for a moment. There's this pool, and surrounded is people who are are struggling physically. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Think about what they're saying to him. This guy's been an invalid for 38 years. He's walking, and all they're concerned about is, Wrong day. So verse 11, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in uh, in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. 
So just, just picture this, this story of what's going on. We're going to get into it. But again, we come, sometimes we're so familiar with passages of Scripture. They're like, oh yeah, I know this one. I kind of fill in the blank. But just think about what Jesus is walking into. He's walking to a sea of brokenness around this pool of people who are hoping, hoping that somehow they can find an answer to their ailment. Obviously, one man for 38 years. This has been his identity. This has been his reality. And when we look at this story, I want to start with some things that I think will challenge what we think about healing. Because I know in my experience, one of the things that we have a tendency to do with, when it comes to God doing miracles in our life, God doing supernatural things, God healing, is that because we don't understand all of it, we try to come up with certain things, certain checklists or certain framework that these things have to be true, then God can heal. So it makes us feel like we have some sense of control. What I discovered when looking at this passage is that, that it blows away all of our kind of restrictions that we put on God and the rules that we give Him. And so there's five things I want to start with, which is kind of our understanding of healing, which so many times we buy into, which this passage challenges all of those. So the first one is this, is in verse 2. Our, our understanding of healing is that it is based on superstition. Now, you and I wouldn't say, oh, we're superstitious because we're Christians and we think superstitious, being superstitious is bad. But we really be become more superstitious than we even realize. So in this passage, you understand what, what's going on. So there's this man that obviously is laying by the side of this pool. And he's laying there because he believes in a story that he's been told about the water he's laying next to. Now, we don't know if this was true or this was just some kind of folklore that they came up in their time. But what was believed about this pool was that from time to time, an angel would swoop down and would stir the waters of the pool, and the first person to get into the pool would be healed. Thus, a multitude of people who were broken physically, who were wanting a healing. So whether it was true or not, there was some kind of superstition that these waters were supernatural, and that there's a certain moment that if I get in the water, then I get my healing, and so that's why he was there. But when you read through the story, one thing you discover is that Jesus heals this man and he never even touches the water. He never, never even gets into the very thing because when Jesus asked him and said, do you want to be healed? He said, yeah, I'd like to be healed really, but, but I can't get in the water because no one's here to help me. And, the, and the, what his focus was what? The water. Jesus is standing in front of him and Jesus asked him if he wants to be healed and he says, yeah, what he's saying is I want to be healed, but healing's in the water. What is that? That's superstition. And you and I, whether we know it or not, so many times we have this superstitious belief about, about the way that healing works, that, that it's like this combination lock that God gives us, and if we can just get the, the, the numbers right, then we can pop the lock open, and then boom, healing just comes. When in reality, healing is a combination lock that you and I don't have the numbers to, and we never will. We can't figure it out. So it isn't some superstition like, okay, if, if these things, if the, the scenario is just right, then mm, God's going to heal. And so if I can just recreate that scenario, then God's going to do what he always does because God always does the same thing over and over and over again, which is not true. He doesn't. And that's what frustrates us about God. Can't you just stick to one mode of operation? Don't, do you agree? But God doesn't work that way. And thank God he doesn't because he's God and we're not. Second thing, our understanding of healing is based on desire. So, and this is where I think we read in this passage. Verse 7, listen to this. It says, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the water when the water is stirred, or in the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm going along this, someone steps in before me. So what, what's happening here is that what's historically been read into this passage, and I know I've been guilty of this too, is that when, when this man engages Jesus, and Jesus asks him a question, and he says, Do you want to be healed? We, we kind of, down this guy like Jesus having to ask him 
a really simple, basic, obvious question. You think he wants to be healed because really, he doesn't really desire to be healed because he's really wrapped up in his infirmity, and that's his identity. So he makes up this excuse that when the waters are stirred, no one's there to help him, so I guess I'm not going to be healed. Anybody ever heard that interpretation of the passage? I've heard that a million times. Then I decided to study and pray and ask God, what's really going on in this passage? You know what's true? is the opposite. This guy has demonstrated his deep desire to be healed. He's been an invalid for 38 years. He's planted himself by a pool, which is the only place he knows that he might find relief from being crippled. And so he's there, and he's waiting day in and day out. And when the water stirs, he's trying to get in, but he can't get in because somebody's faster than he is. That demonstrates a profound desire to be healed. So it can't be that, oh, he just didn't want it enough. You know, we do that. Someone, someone, someone needs to be healed. Someone needs to be touched. Someone needs to be transformed by God. And so we look at them and think, you know what? If you just wanted it a little more. You know, it's almost like, this is ridiculous, but you ever been to like a basketball game in, in an arena and like at one of the timeouts, some people run onto the court with t-shirts and they're going to throw t-shirts into the crowd. And what do they always do when they're doing that? They always try to get everybody excited. So they, they'll point at a section and they'll want people to cheer and they'll, you know, they'll put it like they're listening and get, if that, you know, that, that section cheers loud, then they'll go across the other side and have that section cheer. And eventually whoever cheers the loudest gets what? The t-shirt. Sometimes, you know, it's ridiculous, but Jesus doesn't go, okay, do you really want it? Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Do you really want to be healed? Because if you had the desire, then I would heal you. That doesn't work that way. But how many times do we put that on ourselves or other people? If you really, really wanted to be healed, then you would be healed. The problem is not with God. The problem is with you. The problem's always with us. Newsflash, we're sinners. But it's God's grace in salvation and healing that makes the difference. We'll talk about goodness in a moment. So there's a third thing, though. So you, we have to deal with the fact that we are superstitious. We think it's about desire. Then the third reality of how we understand healing is that we think it's based on faith. Is healing based on faith? To an extent, God desires that we believe in him. But if you look at verses 8 and 9, a really interesting thing happens. This man never expresses faith in Jesus at all. You can't find it. Where is he expressing faith in? The water. That's it. Not Jesus. He doesn't make this great statement, oh, you're Jesus, you're the Son of God, you're the Messiah, I believe in you, and then Jesus heals him. You don't see that. What does Jesus do? He says, take up your mat and walk. No faith. Wait a second, that doesn't fit my checklist of healing criteria. Because you have to have faith. If you don't have enough faith, then God's not going to heal you. Anybody ever heard that before? Faith is a part of the equation for healing, but it's not as ironclad as we make it to be. If you just have more faith, and I've heard that in the church so many times. We just heap guilt on people who are broken physically, and we said, if you just believed more, then God would heal you. So you do everything in your power to just work up some more faith. What is that? That's works. Finally, it's like God's watching, you know, the faith barometer, and the thermometer's getting higher. Boom, oh, finally, they hit the jackpot. It doesn't work that way. But we put that on God, like that's the way it works. I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe, I'm gonna believe that God's gonna do that. And we do ridiculous things when it comes to faith in the church. We, we keep people bound in guilt and shame because we think that they don't have enough faith. And this is an extreme example, but I heard a pastor one time, a couple came into his office and they were infertile. They could not get pregnant and they've tried everything. And they said, we're just praying that God would give us a baby. And so this is what their pastor said to them. They, he said, you don't have enough faith. 
if you had enough faith, God would give you a baby. Again, it's your problem. So this is what he, his, his, he told them to do. He said, you need to go down to the store and you need to buy a stroller. You need to take that stroller and you need to go walk around the mall with the stroller empty as a, as a sign of faith to God that he's going to fill your stroller with a child. That's cruel. Let alone st stupid. I'm sorry. It's just, think about that. You're walking around the mall and someone's going to walk up and say, by the way, do you think you're missing something here? As though God said, finally, they bought the stroller. Now I'm going to give them a child. God can work any way, but when we use faith as like our faith, if I get enough faith, then God's going to do it. Then we've missed the point of what healing's about, which we'll talk a little bit more. So is it about faith? Yes, but faith, faith is not the only criteria that God uses in healing. It's obvious this guy demonstrated no faith in Jesus, and yet he was healed. Then there's a fourth thing, and that is our understanding of healing is that it's based on rules. Verse 10, it says, so the Jews, this is crazy, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, the guy they knew for 38 years, it says, is it the Sabbath? It's not lawful for you to take up your bed? Just let that sink in for a moment. They knew this guy had been laying by the pool for years probably, and now he's standing in front of them with this mat that he's been laying on, and all they can say is, wrong day. Why? Because they had rules for the way God worked. And this didn't fit within their rules. And don't think that we don't do this today. We do this all the time. See, God, God gave Israel the law, and then they decided to improve upon it. Because they interpreted the law differently. So when God said to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, their interpretation of what that was to come up with 39 types of work that you could not do on the Sabbath. And one of them was, just happened to be, you can't carry your own bed. Violation. What did they do? They created a framework by which God had to work within, and if he didn't work within the framework, then it wasn't God. Sound familiar to us today? There are so many different, different theological frameworks within the church, the church in general, across the world that says, God doesn't heal today. God doesn't do that. That was, a, that was in the New Testament. That was when the apostles were around. That's not something that he does today. Why? Because we don't know how to give answers to healing and miracles and God's power, so we try to explain it away. But you never find anywhere in Scripture through all of the Old Testament and the New Testament any time where God says, yep, done with miracles. He's never done with miracles. Never. Jesus doesn't change. It's the power of God. And this is the danger. When you go to the Scriptures to come up with a theological framework that tries to explain what God can't do, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're trying to tell God, you can't do this. And God says, who's God here? Now, do you think, well, God's not going to violate his word? No, he's not. In fact, here, he didn't violate his word at all. He just violated the law that they had created. And I think sometimes we do that. We try, to, we try to explain God, and in explaining God, we explain him away instead of trying to understand what's going on. God will always destroy your theological framework when you're desperate enough. I've watched it happen over and over and over again. Someone will hold to a certain theological belief in their life until they're so desperate they cry out and God does something, and they go, wow. You just destroyed the box that I had. And sometimes the box that we have is that we, we limit God. I've seen testimonies of people that God doesn't heal. If God doesn't heal, then God's schizophrenic. Sorry, no offense to anyone who struggles with that. 
But God is not schizophrenic. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what Hebrew says. He doesn't change. Same God. I'll get off that soapbox, move on. I just find, we've got to get soapbox off this stage. It keeps happening every week. Verse 14. Our healing also, we understand it this way, is that it's based on goodness. Verse 14 in the passage. After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So we don't fully understand exactly what Jesus was referring to. But there's two possible scenarios what was going on. Is that Jesus knew that there was a specific sin in this man's life that contributed to the fact that he was an invalid. He was crippled. And so because of that, Jesus was saying, listen, you are now healed, so don't continue living in that sin. He could have been saying that to him. We know we're not sure. Or Jesus could have been addressing something far broader, which is, the man is finding himself in a state of being an invalid because of the cumulative impact of sin in the world. Because we live in a broken world and there is disease and death and, and there are things that don't work about our physical reality. And so Jesus could say, listen, the, the, the reality of sin has caused you to be crippled. Now you are free from that. Now don't contribute to the same problem that you had by sinning and causing others to live out that same reality. Now whether it's personal or it's more broad we don't know for sure but what we do know for sure is this jesus was making a statement to this man he had just healed a man that either was personally sinful in his life or was a result of the cumulative impact of sin in the world which means this man was healed based on nothing of his own goodness nothing he did not do anything to make himself position himself to do something to say finally i'm good enough now you can heal me he didn't follow our rules. He didn't show any faith. He didn't confess Jesus. He didn't do anything. And Jesus healed him, which makes a very important statement. Jesus heals sinful people because we're all sinful. And it isn't reaching a certain level of righteousness, then suddenly Jesus shows up. No, usually it's at the point of our greatest brokenness and need that Jesus shows up, even in the middle of our sin. Listen to what Jesus said of himself Mark chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, And the scribes and Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's why Jesus came. He came for sinners who are broken spiritually, who are broken physically, and he engaged them. So when we look at this passage, it's so important for ourselves. And this is one of the things that I know I have to come to grips with. Jesus will always challenge the boxes that I create for him. He's not going to change himself, and he's not going to do something contrary to who he is. But I need to know that sometimes I put God in a framework that he needs to push outside of because I'm trying to be God and control him. And he comes along and says, no, I'm God. And that's sometimes hard for us. Remember we talked about one of the, what's the original sin? You can be like God. When it comes to healing, we have to let God be God, which now leads to the second part, which is what's God's process of healing? W what are the things that we can pick up from this passage that we can understand? We can't understand it all, but we can understand the certain things, and we have to be at peace with those. So look at verses 3 through 5. God's process in healing, first of all, has to do with God chooses you. And this is one we really struggle with. So Jesus shows up at the pool, Bethesda, and it says there are multitudes of people that are, they're lame, they're deaf, they're blind, they're, they're, they're needing something. There's multitudes of people. And how many people does Jesus heal? One. One. Jesus chose one man. 
Now, automatically, we think, well, that's not fair. I mean, they all needed it, right? Why would Jesus pick this one guy when everyone was sick? He's God. He could have just healed them all, but he chose this one man. We don't have a good answer of why he chose that man, and the fact that he's God, and he chose him for his purpose. There are other passages you can read where Jesus healed everybody. But because he's God, he knows what he's doing, and we'll, we'll see this. It isn't just about the physical reality of healing. It's a much bigger picture. So when it comes to healing, God chooses. Ultimately, you and I have to understand that in eternity, some people will experience temporary healing on this planet, but all people who follow Jesus will experience eternal healing, healing with Jesus forever. Which one's better? Medicine that makes you feel good for a day or a cure that cures you for eternity? That's the difference. But Jesus, he chooses who he's going to heal to demonstrate, we'll get to this, something big, bigger than just the healing. So we understand that God chooses. And the second thing, verse 6, God's process of healing is that God knows you. It says, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time. So from this context, it wasn't that Jesus heard through the grapevine that there was this invalid who's laying by the pool that needs to be healed. We know that because he knew that there was multitudes of people. But he knew this man's story supernaturally in a way that he was engaging him. He knew what this man was struggling with. He knew, obviously we know, he, we knew he, he knew what his physical ailment was. And he could have been known, known supernaturally what the man's issue was in his sin. Jesus knew this man. That's profound. That means that Jesus knows you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly the pain that you're experiencing. He knows exactly the disease you're carrying in your body. He knows exactly the struggles that you have every single day of your life. He knows you. Why? Because he's God. And that's important because how many times you feel in a day that at the end of the day you really wonder, does God even really know I'm alive? Do I even really matter to God? Does he even know what I experienced? Does he even know what I'm going through? I feel like he's left me. Anybody want to admit you've ever gone through a day like that in your life? We all have. But Jesus knows exactly what this man's going through. But what's so powerful about this is that he knows, he, he knows this man, and there's a reason why he knows this man, because eventually what he wants this man to know is not just healing. He wants him to know Jesus. Jesus wants the man to know him. And that's important to understand. It's a very personal thing, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the point of healing is not just the healing. The point of healing is Jesus. And sometimes we miss that. That's why Jesus is encountering this man. He's going to heal him. But it's not just about his healing. It's about Jesus revealing who he is. We know that because Jesus, in, in Luke 17, there's this story that Jesus heals 10 lepers of their disease. He cures them, and he says, now you go to the priest so the priest can verify that now you're clean. And so they go to the priest, and if you know the story, what happens is one out of the 10 comes back to say thank you to Jesus. The other nine, what do they do? The other nine got their healing and in a sense, they won the battle, but they lost the war because the one that came back got it. He realized that his healing came from Jesus. His healing wasn't some random thing. His healing came from a source. It came from a person, and he came back to thank him. Why is that important? Because how many times in our life, and no offense to anybody who says this, I've heard this over and over again, we believe in the power of prayer. Can I just tell you, I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of Jesus. That's why we pray. Now, I know it's people, oh, that's just semantics, but think about that. I don't believe in the power of prayer to any God. I don't believe in the power of prayer to myself. I believe in the power of prayer because I'm praying to Jesus, and I believe in Jesus, and Jesus is the one that does miracles. 
And so that's the point is that Jesus encountering this man, he knows him. He knows what he's going through. Why? Because it's very personal. Because in a moment, we're going to see that what Jesus is getting at is not only that the man can walk, but that the man knows Jesus. Because if he has Jesus, he's taken care of for eternity. But if he has a miracle, it's only temporary. It's in this world, and it's important, it's significant, but it's not forever. Now look at the third thing, verses 7 through 10. This is another thing we can learn, and that is that God determines how and when. When it comes to God's miracles and healing and power, God determines how and he determines when he's going to do it. Isn't that frustrating? Right? Because we want to create the scenario. We, we want the right environment. You know, and there's, there's been like books written about how you, how you make the proper context or environment for God to heal. And you take these steps. And, and you know the reality is, is that nobody knows. And you know why nobody knows? Because if you read the Gospels, you can't. It's, it's hard to find Jesus healing the same way twice. It's all over the map. So, and it's crazy. So what does Jesus do? Sometimes he kneels down, spits in the ground, and makes mud, and then wipes it on a guy's face. Sometimes he spits on his hands and touches a guy's tongue and heals that way. Sometimes he doesn't touch anybody and they get healed. Sometimes he casts out demons and people get healed that way. Sometimes people got healed when they weren't even present with him. Other times they were in front. One time a woman touched a piece of his clothing that he was wearing and she got healed. So try to come up with a formula for that. You can't. And God does that on, on purpose. Why? So that you and I realize there is no formula. There's only God. And God is the one that heals. And he chooses when and he chooses how he's going to do it. And that means that he's ultimately the one that decides what is our responsibility in healing? To ask. That's it. Just to ask. In fact, one of the things that's crazy that, that I still am trying to reconcile my own mind, and I've read through it, and I've, I've listened to people talk about this. When you read through the Gospels, you know what's crazy? Jesus never prayed for the sick. I'm like, whoa. You know, he never prayed for the sick. You know what he did? He just healed them. Never did Jesus bow his head and close his eyes and pray for the sick. He just said, what did he do in this context? He looked at the man, he said, get up and take up your bed, walk. No, like, prayer, no right words, just healing. I don't know what to do with that because all I know to do is pray. And I know there are people that God gives the gift and the power of healing in them in a moment and they will command and healing will happen. I haven't had that happen to me, but I know one thing God's given me is given me prayer and I can ask for anything. There is no limit to what we can ask and we should probably ask more. But you know what? God is father and that means father knows best. And so when I ask him, if he doesn't answer the way that I want him to answer, he still does right by me because he loves me. And I can trust in that. But he determines how and when he's going to heal. And then the fourth reality of God's process of healing is that God reveals himself. Verse 15, the man went away and then told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So it's interesting. So Jesus pulls out after the healing. Why? Because there's a crowd. And you know that as Jesus never clamored for the crowd. In fact, he always kind of moved away from the crowd. And so he knows that there's a stir going on because the invalid for 38 years is now walking. So he steps back intentionally. But then later he comes back and he reengages this guy. Why? Because he wants him to know who healed him. That it's Jesus. Why? Because the point of the man's healing wasn't only, it was one part of it was that the man would walk, but ultimately that he would know who caused him to walk it was Jesus, that God reveals himself through healing. And that's why it's so important and so essential for us to understand the way that God works is that God does something in us physically to get to us emotionally and spiritually. 
They're not separate realities. They're all connected. And that's why when you read through the Gospels and you see for the majority, not always, but the majority of people that experienced something supernatural from Jesus, there was an amazing bond that they experienced with him. Because what's true about healing, whether we know it or not, healing is an intimate interaction with God. Because it requires you and I to unveil the greatest brokenness in our life. The point of our greatest need, which is hard because that means we have to be vulnerable. Perfect example, Mary Magdalene, we know from scriptures, she had seven demons cast out of her. When she was freed from demons, it so changed her life. She didn't just go off and say, wow, I'm free from demons now. She became a follower of Jesus. Why? Because she was so transformed. We know so much that that she followed Jesus to the cross. And then even when Jesus rose from the dead, who's the first person who sees Jesus resurrected? It's Mary. Because there's this deep bond. Why? Because this woman who was so broken so bound, so dominated by demonic forces. Jesus sets her free. Now she's connected to him. She's a follower of Jesus. That's part of what healing is, is that Jesus reveals himself. That's why Jesus, when he, when he, when he performed miracles, he didn't come and just heal everybody like Bruce Almighty. When you see the movie, he answered every prayer, and the world fell apart when he did. Because it wasn't about prayers being answered for Jesus. It was about him revealing himself. Because if you and I get Jesus, we get more than an answer to prayer. We get more than a physical healing. We get eternal salvation. We get freedom from sin. And yeah, healing certainly would be wonderful, and we will contend for that. But Jesus is doing something more holistic and more broad in our lives. So Jesus would reveal himself. And then the final thing is this. In God's process of healing, God demonstrates the priority. Verse 17, Jesus says, says, answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is a pretty important thing. Jesus is saying to the religious leaders who are now critiquing the fact that he healed on the Sabbath, and he says to make a very, very powerful statement. He's saying, yeah, work on the Sabbath you shouldn't do because you should keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. But the work of God never takes a break. God never stops working. And Jesus is saying, what the Father's been doing, I am doing, and God's work is God's work, and God's work doesn't take a day off. You can take a day off of work and keep the Sabbath holy, but God's purpose is never going to take a break in your life. So Jesus is making this profound statement. It's like, because they're so concerned, like, oh, no, no, no. No, no, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but you can certainly do the work of God on the Sabbath because God is always at work. Why is that significant? Because you and I think that God takes a day off sometimes in our life. Sometimes you and I think he takes more than a day off. He takes a month off or a season off. When you and I are walking through struggles and we're like, well, God must not be at work. Here's the reality. God is always at work. He is. There's not a moment in your life where God is not at work. There's not a moment where he's not trying to accomplish his purpose in your life. It's just that you and I are unaware of what he's doing. In fact, John Looney, earlier when we were praying before, our, our, uh, uh, before the first service, we always pray, and you're always welcome to come. At 8.30, we shut, or 8.15, we shut things down for 15 minutes, and we pray, God, what are you saying today? He shared an image that the Lord gave him about this today, and I thought it was really powerful. He does a picture of, you know, uh, a beach, and, you know, somebody out on the beach with one of those metal detectors, you know, that you usually mock, like, you're never going to find anything valuable. You know those kind of people, Right? But they have, you know, the, the detector, and they have the special shovel and everything. And, and then it's, so it's this beach scene. And so when you're on the beach, you know, you're, you're looking for those kind of people. They're looking for what's valuable just underneath the surface. 
where most of us, what do we go to the beach for? We go to the beach to see the sunset, to go in the water, to look at the waves, to hear the ocean, to enjoy all that. And we never know what's right underneath the surface. But it's only the person who's looking for what's underneath the surface that finds anything valuable underneath the surface. And when John shared that, I thought, that's so true. We assume that when we are not engaging with God, God is not at work. But he's always right there underneath the surface. He's waiting for us to be aware of the fact that he's present. And this is a reality that I've been really working in my life because I honestly, if I'm honest with you, there are times I'll go through a season of an hour or a day and I'll be disengaged from the reality of God around me and like, God, please remind me that you're present. You're present in the mundane. You're present in the difficult times. You're present when I don't think you're present. You're always at work. Let me just open my eyes and see what you're doing and seeing what's valuable in my life. So Jesus is always at work. God is always at work. And here's the reality of the way that God is working, and I believe the way he wants to work in us today. God wants to meet us at the point of our greatest need. You read through the Gospels, that's where he met people. The point where you find yourself most desperate, that's where God wants to meet us today. Now, I can't stand up here and guarantee physical healing, but what I can do is that I can ask God, and we can pray, and we can believe and trust that God's going to do what he's going to do. He may heal us physically, but he's going to do something holistic in us every time we ask him to. So I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come and join me. We're going to go back into that song, Miracles, that we sang earlier. But before we do that, there's an important way that I feel that we need to respond to what God's saying through this passage in our lives this morning. So if you just go ahead, as, as a point of focus, would you go ahead and just close your eyes for a moment? In just a few moments, I'm going to pray for God's power and his healing in our lives. Because I believe that one of the things that we can learn from this passage is I think there's two things that are, are, are unmistakable. And that is that God does heal and that Jesus wants us to know him. Those two things come out of this passage. If you want to clear all the other things, we know this is that God heals people. And in the process, he reveals himself to us. So what we're going to do in these next few moments, I'm going to ask you, if you are here and you are dealing with a physical challenge in your life, it may be chronic pain that you're experiencing. You may have cancer. You may have a disease. You may have something more prolonged. You may have MS. You may have something that you, you have tried everything. You have gone to doctors. You may have gone through surgery. You've tried medication. And there still is no resolve for you. We're going to pray that God would heal you today. But what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you as a, as a way of, of acknowledging that you desire that, that God your desires that God would heal you and his desires he wants to heal you today. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you're physically able right now. Stand to your feet if you physically are desiring God to bring his healing power in your life right now. Jesus. I'm going to ask everybody else, if you're seated, go ahead and open your eyes. I want you to look around the room. This is what I want you to do. I want you to get up from your seat and go find someone who's standing right now who needs to have a hand laid on them, and then I'm going to pray. So make sure if you're seated, get up from your seat. Go find someone who's standing. If everybody stands up and you lost someone who needs healing, if you need healing, raise your hand right now so people know that's who I go to. That's who I need to to lay my hands on. We know enough to know that God does want to heal. So what we're going to do, we're going to ask and we're going to pray that God would bring his healing power as he did to that man at the pool thousands of years ago, that he would do that today in us. 
So receive what God is doing. Be open to it. Don't, don't ignore what's going on beneath the surface, the valuable thing that God wants to do in you. So Lord Jesus, as we stand before you right now, and Lord, you have seen those who have stood, and even before they stood, you knew them. You knew what they're going through. You knew the struggle that they're having, and because of that, you are here today, and we know that you're present. You've put your spirit in us, and your spirit dwells in us, so you know, we know that you're here, and you know we know that you can heal. So right now, Jesus, by your power and in your name, I pray your touch on each person who needs healing, Lord. Those who are struggling walking where their knees and their ankles and their legs, Lord, are not functioning properly, I pray that you would bring your healing touch on them. You would mend what's broken. Where there are broken bones, that you would bring healing. Lord, I pray for those who have sustained injury in an accident or in life, Lord, that they can never recover from that injury, that today that you would heal that injury once and for all. For those who are dealing with diseases, Lord, that are beyond their control, they may even be getting treatment right now through doctors. And Lord, we know that you can use doctors, but we know that you can also heal supernaturally. So Lord, I pray right now that you would heal cancer, that you would heal MS, that you would heal migraines, that you would heal digestive issues, Lord, that you would heal those things that are beyond what we can do. Lord Jesus, and I pray now holistically for all of us that are standing now that you would reveal yourself in such a way that you would heal us physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Lord, even today, where some, some, Lord, may be on medication because of issues that they deal with in their mental capacity, that right now that you would bring clarity and you would bring healing, Lord, to those who are bipolar, to those that are maybe struggling with schizophrenia, those who are dealing with mental disorders. Lord Jesus, would you bring healing as you did, Lord, that you brought somebody who was not in their right mind and you made them in their right mind. Lord Jesus, you can do this. And so, Lord, we know our job is to ask. And so we are asking that you would bring your healing power to bear on our lives today, that we would experience your presence and your healing in us. And as we worship you and as we believe in you, the God of miracles, Lord, that you would come down now and you would do your miraculous work in our lives that never, ever sleeps and never stops, but is always at work in us. We thank you, Jesus.